0: Tragically, there's so many things we can do, but it seems like people run to their political corners. We ignore all the stuff that is right in front of our face that can
1: and should be done. Well, a lot of these companies that do these signature collections are, certainly there are some very good ones, but there are also some fly-by-night ones. Right. And, and right now, the whole thing has sort of become more amplified. What it tells us is that, you know, radical Sunni extremism
2: is not dead. Um, it's still out there, and it's still a, a, a certainly a, a threat to us. Uh, here in the United
3: States. You're listening to Pod Sui, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 19 children and two teachers were killed in Uvalde, Texas, when an 18 year old gunman who had just shot his grandmother in the face walked into an elementary school and opened fire in a classroom before barricading himself inside. It was the first high-profile school shooting since Oxford High School in late November. Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard's department responded to the Oxford High School shooting, and he discussed the tragedy in Texas with Paul W. Smith.
4: If I make you king, what do you do in America? I don't care what it is. Don't worry about, well, I can't do that, or they won't let me say this. or what? What would you do to try to start making an impact on what's happening in our country that we're having these kinds of horrific shootings on a semi-regular basis, more so in America than anywhere else. Right.
0: Tragically, there's so many things we can do, but it seems like people run to their political corners and we we ignore all the stuff that is right in front of our face that can and should be done. You know, first and foremost, we see, you know, that mental health issues have risen dramatically uh, across society. Um, for a variety of reasons. And COVID did nothing but make it exponentially worse. People are angry, they're quick to anger, they're quick to violence, whether it's road rage, whether it's fighting over a a shopping cart in a grocery store, or whether it's going into a school. um, We're seeing this, this violence play out across society. And I think a lot of it's related to mental health and the failure by Washington and others to fully fund a wide continuum of mental health services to help people process and help people in crisis before they find themselves you know, in a critical, violent situation. And I would also say this, you're more likely to be a victim of a crime if you have a mental health issue than a perpetrator. But having said that, if you go tragically off the tracks and become violent, we see things like this. So, that 's first and foremost, create a continuum service, secondly, hold people accountable you know there 's going to be a rush to you know all sorts of new gun proposals, but you know i I, I study this eighty percent of those that have felony convictions are never entered into the firearm check system, meaning that seven million in the last estimate who are convicted felons prevented by law from going and buying a weapon aren't in the system that's supposed to stop them. And worse, the last time they did a study, 98% of those that were prevented and illegally attempting to buy firearms by the system were never
2: prosecuted.
0: 98%. Oh, my. So, you know, and, and we're going to have so much hand-wringing by people on every side of this, but these are the facts that are in place today. So let's start using the systems and the process that are in place. Let's create a mental, his, mental health system that works for those uh, folks that are having challenges, and we have to talk. Paul, you know I've studied every one of these tragic things for over 20 years in depth and everyone had a telltale sign that someone didn't share and we need to communicate the first persons that are most likely to see something that's going to happen in school will be students teachers or parents and if they don't communicate that to the school or to the police and all three of those groups talk together it falls through the cracks and we see it time and time again this case in texas i don't have the deep debrief yet but how does an 18 year old get a hold of weapons and according to what i'm being told ballistic armor without somebody seeing or hearing it i find it difficult to believe that no one saw or heard it and no one made any kind of communication and if they did somebody failed so there are always trip wires and most of those trip wires are ignored or not fully reported we investigate a hundred percent of any threats made against the school, even if they're deemed non-credible, because it's still a crime.
4: I was just going to say, I I just was going to say, what is deemed not credible? If you make a threat, that's it. You've made a threat. I don't care if you have the guns at your house or if they're in a locker hidden somewhere. You've made the threat. Exactly. So the
0: first thing we do is make sure the situation is safe, that it's not credible, meaning that it's not likely you're going to carry it out because you don't have the means or capability. But having said that, we immediately pivot once we've made it safe to prosecuting you for doing it in the first place. Those steps are obvious and necessary, and they don't often happen on such a routine basis and needs to happen everywhere. And there needs to be a message to anyone. You make a threat against a school, a house of worship, a business, I don't care what you're gonna get criminally charged and you're gonna get punished severely.
5: 1140, he walks into the west side of Rob Elementary. Multiple rounds, numerous rounds are discharged in the school. Four minutes later, local police departments, Uvalet Police Department, the Independent School District Police Department are inside, making entry they hear gunfire, they take rounds, they move back, get cover, and during that time, they approach where the suspect is at. Officers are there, the initial officers, they receive gunfire, they don't make entry initially because of the gunfire they're receiving. But we have officers calling for additional resources. So during that time that they're making those calls to bring in help to solve this problem and stop it immediately, they're also evacuating personnel, not say personnel, students, teachers. There's a lot going on. Approximately an hour later, the U.S. Border Patrol tactical teams arrive. They make entry, shoot and kill the suspect.
3: Victor Escalon with the Texas Department of Public Safety held a briefing Thursday afternoon to give an updated timeline on the shooting and to explain why it took authorities approximately an hour to kill the gunman. Robert Stevenson, executive director of the Michigan Association of Chiefs of Police, lends his expertise to Guy Gordon.
6: Guy, I think that we need to reserve judgment until all the facts are in. But I would be shocked and actually dismayed if they actually stood back for an hour while a uh, armed gunman was inside an elementary school. And I do agree with what you first said. That wouldn't happen in Michigan.
4: No, and that's what I just find. And and, as I heard this today, and this was confirmed by a a member of the the, the Texas uh, Department of Public Safety, that it was an hour between the first call and when they brought him down, uh, apparently most of the shooting and killing took place in the first few minutes of his arrival. But that meant there were an awful lot of wounded kids in there um, who who might have been helped by a a, a more rapid response. Uh, Right.
6: So... So, Guy, the, um, back before Columbine happened, the, the standard response, if you would be, was to contain the suspect within the location and then get a, a police team there and then go and engage. And what they found was that while there is a risk if you go in the front that the person's going out the back, if mm-hmm. you will, um, there's more of a risk by waiting outside and then going inside. So. Yeah. The current uh, practice, if you will, from the IACP and everybody else, I'm not giving up any tactical secrets here, is that when the officer arrives on the scene, the first officer on the scene, you don't wait for backup. You go in and you engage the threat because the risk not to is that those precious seconds, minutes, and such – uh, innocent people could be getting killed
4: well and, and two officers were wounded in the initial attempt and I, I understand that that would give anybody pause now the, apparently their their wounds were fairly minor but they did take fire and then when they fell back uh, there was no attempt to re-engage that I guess there was some attempts at, at negotiations but that didn't get very far at least according to the briefing today um we we've seen mental illness cited again and again as the is the core problem here and it certainly is an important component of it. What's the answer to keeping, to, to identifying people that are mentally ill and then keeping them away from uh, powerful weapons and, and, and the ability to do this?
6: Well, You kind of have two competing interests, if you will, Guy. You have the, the person who has some right to privacy that's getting treatment for mental illness but then you have the other side about how do we stop that person potentially from getting guns? Take a situation such as this guy. If the police are ca- called to a scene and maybe looking at committing somebody, uh, if we commit the person, then we have a record of that. If the person signs himself into the mental hospital might be the exact same circumstances. We could have committed them. Then there is no record of it and uh. we don't have access to it. So On one hand, you know, you you have those competing interests of people with their privacy. But on the other hand, we see these mass incidents of uh, violence and the people do often have mental history, uh, mental problems and a history of mental issues.
4: But if we do know that that exists, would a red flag law in the state of Michigan, and it wouldn't have helped certainly in in this case in Uvalde, because there was no mental illness issue and no one had petitioned to have his guns taken away. But if there had been, uh, and the grandma or somebody else had done this, would a red flag law have helped there? Would it help us here and help law enforcement in some cases?
6: Well, without seeing the actual details of the law, but we do have, have, uh, if we will, tools. That if we know that somebody is mentally ill and they have firearms and they're unstable, there are things that law enforcement can do. So it's not like our hands are completely tied. Mm -hmm. I know even way back when I worked the road, uh, we confiscated weapons from people. Families turned weapons over to us for safekeeping. But the number one thing is law enforcement needs to know about it before we can take any action at all. Somebody needs to. Call somebody and tell us that this person is having problems. I'm seeing something on Facebook. Right. There's warning signs here. Somebody needs to notify law enforcement. And what we find out, and even in this case down in Texas, is there were some flags out there, some warnings, mm-hmm. but nobody knew about them. Right. We didn't hear about them.
4: You know, most mass shooters, according to the studies I've read historically, have used handguns. But that certainly in the the last two horrible incidents, the one in Buffalo and the one Tuesday. Um, that wasn't the case. We saw suspects who, in some instances, had greater firepower than the first responders that came to the rescue. How concerned are you and and the chiefs that you represent that the, the deck, to an increasing degree, seems to be stacked against the rescuers?
6: I think most police departments, guy, have weapons that they can encounter and counter that they're going to uh, encounter out there. In this case, I understand the person had a two-two-three or AR-15. Um, most police departments have weapons that are equal to that, if not greater than. Uh, so I do think we come back to the same thing. We, we just need to know about these things before something happens, not not find out afterwards.
4: But apparently the first team that were driven back only had handguns when they responded. They responded with what they had. Um, they, They were the nearest officers. An ISIS operative from
3: Iraq was arrested and is now facing federal charges for allegedly plotting to assassinate former President George W. Bush. The suspect, who is seeking asylum in the United States, arrived in the country in September of 2020, lived in Ohio before traveling to Texas in February to surveil the former president text messages obtained by investigators show the suspect planned to smuggle four other Iraqi Nationals to help in his plot because he blamed Bush for the death of numerous Iraqis during Operation Iraqi Freedom Andy Arena heads up the Detroit Crime Commission and used to be head of the FBI's Detroit Bureau he was on all talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz.
2: So I think what it tells us is that you know radical Sunni extremism is, is not dead um, it's still out there and it's still a, a, a certainly a, a threat to us. Uh, Here in the United States, you know, we've been talking over the past couple of years about the threat of domestic uh, extremism and particularly, uh, you know, white supremacist far uh, right wing extremism. Um, and, And I've been cautioning people that, you know, we can't take our eye off the ball. There's actually many balls out there, you know, left wing extremism, Hezbollah. Um, and and ISIS and you know these 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 uh, Sunni extremist uh, inspired groups. So I think what this really tells us is you know they, you know I'm right. Uh, these, these folks are still out there. They're still they're still trying to kill Americans, and uh, it, it still is a problem. We just can't we, you know we can't ignore them. They're 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 not going anywhere.
4: We talked about when uh, the Taliban took over in Afghanistan. One of the first things they did was released uh, hundreds of ISIS leaders from uh, the jails there in Afghanistan, uh, are we seeing uh, or are you aware of any uptick in in activity by Isis since that took place?
2: Well you know I think in, on the ground in Afghanistan, you know obviously a lot of these folks now have their freedom um, you know, but they're still kind of at odds with the Taliban right they're, they're, they don't uh, always see the eye uh, the, the world eye to eye. So I think there is still some issues with them. but at the end of the day, um, if if they're, they're certainly going to come together to fight fight the Americans, so you know I think Afghanistan once again has become somewhat of a safe uh, safe haven uh, for for these individuals to recruit and train and, um, and and do their thing. So you know I think I think that you know the, the, the chickens are coming home to roost a little bit. I mean we we kind of thought this was going to happen. I think that we're, that we're starting to see that.
5: You know, the, the Department of Justice, they say this guy uh, paid money with the intent of smuggling in other terrorists uh, to help him kill George W. Bush. Uh, in your view, um, you know how often this might happen? How easy is it to get into this country when you're bringing in outside foreign terrorists into the country? Is it easy to get in here? And do you, are you concerned that this is happening uh, in a much greater numbers than what we saw in Ohio?
2: well i think I think it goes Tom back back to the the border security uh discussion that we have you know our 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 borders are not as secure as they should be i mean that's that's uh, you know an obvious statement um and and I think that you know these people are able to to get in you know I, I've been talking about uh, hezbollah for for many many years i mean they are to me the you know the grad school of terrorists um and you know with issues that we may be having with iran. They, they certainly pose a pose a problem. But, you know, their their trafficking routes are world renowned. So their ability to move people and things across borders, uh, they're the best. So, you know, these the terrorist groups, uh, they they know how to do it. Uh, they, they have the ability they have the money and they, they have the trafficking route. So it is a problem. And it, it certainly poses uh, an issue with, national, with our national security.
5: Um, if I could, just one final question regarding the school shooting, and relative to that, and then we'll let you go. I know it's uh, you've been on with us for a long time, so we appreciate it. But in your view, uh, what do you think? If there's one thing you can do to protect a school, just one thing, what do you? What might that be?
2: Uh, see, that, and that's the problem. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think there is just one thing. I, I just think there's so many different issues, and you know, there's just not one one silver bullet. You know, I think. You know, the schools across the country are doing such a great job at training. You know, when I was a kid, Tom, we used to do uh, training against a, you know, uh, a, an atomic bomb. <laughs> that shows how old I am. Uh, then wow, you're old. old. Yeah, <laughs> uh, almost, you know, but now it's, you know, now it's, uh, it's, it's active shooters, and you know, I think the schools are, but we need to give them more money uh, for for security and 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 for training and those types of things. But you know, God forbid it ever happened, but it it just seems to continue to happen. But like I say, it's yeah. it's not just one issue. Right. We, we gotta we gotta be holistic in this approach and put everything on the table.
3: Five GOP gubernatorial candidates and including front-runner James Craig, were disqualified from appearing on the August primary ballot. The State Board of Canvassers made the ruling in a deadlocked 2-2 decision on Thursday after the Michigan Election Bureaus found the candidates did not submit enough legitimate signatures and that their petition had a number of fraudulent signatures. Paul Egan had the story for the Detroit Free Press, and he talked to Guy Gordon about what the heck happened.
1: Uh, There's a company called uh, First Choice um, Consulting, uh, a... A Michigan man by the name of Sean Wilmoth, and I've talked to, I've confirmed that at least three of the five candidates hired this company. Um, the, the signatures, and I mean, here's where you kind of get into, you know, where is. Certainly, the candidate has some responsibility to do some basic vetting of these signatures because if, if you look at the report that the Bureau of Elections provides, I mean, a lot of these cases, you know, it's the same handwriting or, you know, there's somebody's used different colored ink to try to make it look uh, more authentic, but some of these forgeries would really have been, been easy to catch. Now, the, the, the candidates that hired this particular company um, have tried to reach Will Moth, who has a previous criminal conviction in another state related to some problems with um, with signatures that were collected in the past. Now, um, I should say that, you know, in additional reporting I've done that the two of the candidates, James Craig and Perry Johnson, don't believe that they hired this particular contractor that affected the other campaigns, but, there's another company that they've been trying to reach without success so far, um, you know, where they believe, and they, they're not entirely sure whether it could be related to the other company under a different name or whether it's a completely different cast of characters. But, you know, although the Bureau of Elections report only pointed to this one company involving Wilmoth, right. um, I've been able to find out that it looks like there's at least one other company that, um, that, uh, may have been involved in, um, in collecting these fraudulent signatures.
4: Could that company have subcontracted with Wilmoth?
1: That's quite possible. You know, the other thing that, that, you know, all of this is going to be a subject of investigation. It's expected the Attorney General's office is going to investigate. And, you know, you, you then get into the question, well, you know, the principal of the company could say, well, you know, I hired people. They were supposed to be getting authentic signatures. You know, we didn't know that they were... They were fraudulent. You you know, a lot of people are going to have some kind of level of deniability on this, right? Except for the collectors themselves, because they actually signed the sheets, and and you know they are going to be the most vulnerable to um, it. Is it is a criminal offense in Michigan to knowingly, um, you know, submit false um, false signatures in this way?
4: So. You know, it's interesting here. Ron Weiser came out and was quoted as saying that he's going to fight this like crazy in the courts, and he's going to, to, to mount an objection to this, and I suppose as chair of the state party, he has to do that. But on what grounds do you challenge this? If, if a child could have spotted these forgeries, that's going to be
1: kind of a hard argument to make before the canvassers or any court. Right. It's, you know, there's kind of been some, um, you know, some, some kind of vague talk from both Weiser and former Chief Craig about a possible conspiracy. Um, you know, uh, Weiser specifically mentioned, you know, Democrats angling, you know, Chief Craig wasn't said he wasn't prepared to point any fingers at any, you know, whether it was a Republican opponent or Democrat or or whoever without doing further investigation. But, you know, they would really have to have evidence of something like that. And it, it we really haven't seen any evidence of anything like that you know what we do know is a lot of these a lot of these companies that do these signature collections are you know are somewhat you know, certainly there are some very good ones, but there are also some fly-by-night right. ones. And, and right now the whole thing has sort of become more amplified because it's really hard to find low-cost labor during the pandemic. Nobody likes, you know, people don't even like being out trying to mix with people to get signatures. So it's become, it's become much more difficult to do. And then you've got so many candidates in this race. You know, there was a real – there was a real – um you know, a real demand for signatures and a real difficulty in supplying them. And so, and so, you know, that might be a more logical explanation of how something than this could happen. Um, You know, uh, you know, I'm not saying that some kind of conspiracy is impossible, but so far we haven't seen any evidence of anything like that.
4: Right. But, I mean, you know, they may want to talk about the Democrats' hand in this, but Tudor Dixon filed one of the original complaints and one of the original challenges. So those challenges came from within the party as well. It also, I don't know, Paul, it just seems like if if the party challenges on behalf of those that didn't do this right, doesn't that kind of um, penalize campaigns
1: that did. Kevin Rinke and Tudor Dixon and Garrett Saldano. Absolutely. You know, I talked to uh, Pastor Ralph Rebant today from Farmington Hills. He ran a completely volunteer effort. Uh, you know, he talked to me about how you know he had a few experienced ones and that they relied on friends around the street and then they spread all these petitions out on his living room floor and organized them by county and <laughs> and he's like you know he said my heart goes out to them but how do you just farm this out to somebody without any oversight he said you know and he, he also said I you know I think people think that money can solve everything but you know basically you know he certainly he certainly would would object to these to these candidates being on the ballot um, when you know when he did the hard work of doing it properly and um, and they didn't. They'll vote for
3: Podsui this week for full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to the greatvoice.com. See you next time.